it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is a crowd podcast. He swings and misses, he catches one up hunchback, you know. Who was the best promoter that you ever worked with? And I could have walked off into the sunset as the champion. Who's your best trainer? I'm not sure I've told him on the full story yet. Who wins, Eubank Jr. or Conor Ben? Come, we're going to Vegas. How come you never box at the bridge? Let's get on with it. I'm George, he's Deck. Hello, it's the George Groves Boxing Club. Hello, Deck. Hi, George. <laughs> How are you? I am um, not bad. How about you? I'm good, but I'm looking at a vacant chair in the old yeah. studio booth. We're two-handed today. It's a different sort of app. It's very much a different app. Um, but it's an exciting app for the listeners, the club members, mm. because we're going to answer some of the questions. Yeah. The fantastic questions. Thanks so much for everyone sending them in. You can still send them in as well, because the more we get, the more we can ask George. The club members have sent us some, ver- some very good questions. I'm very interested in some of these answers. If your question doesn't get read out, or mentioned it's because we've covered it in someone else's question of the same ilk. There's a few topics, George, as you can imagine, that sort of came up more than others. Mm. Should we just dive in? Yeah, let's just dive there's in. No, there's no specific order either, so we'll just get straight into it, okay? So, first one, Big Luke Eggleton. You've spoken previously about how your main aim was to win a world title. What direction do you think your career would have taken had you beaten Frotch? Did you have any particular fights in mind at the time? Now, I don't think he he means in the first fight, the controversial one, but I think he just means in either fight. So say you'd left Wembley a winner that night. What direction do you think your career would have taken? And did you have any particular fights in mind at the time? Great question. Cheers, Luke. At the time, I was speaking to all different promoters. In the end, I signed with Caller and Nissa Sowland from Sowland Promotions because... Hold on, were you a free agent when you be- when you box rush? Well, I, was, I, I negotiated the fight as a free agent yeah. and then I signed up with a promoter literally two weeks before the fight. I might have been worth a lot more after I won the fight or I might have been worth a lot less losing the fight. Ultimately, my value was probably about the same. 
I just felt like I knew the Salem brothers and I sort of was connected with them a bit and it just felt like someone who they're knowledgeable about boxing they've got a lot of connections a lot of people they know how the systems work and I thought if I have them on, on my side it would be a little bit of help you know um, give me a little bit more reassurance and confidence on fight night but speaking with Barry Hearn at Matchroom he had a plan he said look you sign with us you beat Froch we'll get you a Kessler fight at the end of the year and then the mandatory because this was May when it may have May yeah, yeah. so uh, we'll get you a Kessler sort of arena fight win that there's a possibility of a stadium fight next year against James DeGale uh, James DeGale was the IBF champion at, no he wasn't he was nothing well, and mandatory. he was mandatory for the IBF because he beat Brandon Gonzalez on the undercard at Wembley they, they were already moving cogs to get DeGale in the frame I like that route I like that idea first of all I was like Kessler yeah but he's you know Frosch just beat him but then, like, don't worry about that and obviously that's just safe knowledgeable boxing heads of matchroom saying you know he's not over he'll come again people won't be bored of it people won't be going why are you fighting this guy like this is Kessler's big name big fight good fight and then you got DeGale next that would also have been a way for them to lure in DeGale I suppose who had probably multiple deals I know he was just after that sign with Al Heyman yeah. that could have been one route Kessler DeGale was a good I can, I can imagine Barry just chucking you that one going this, yeah. this is the plan this is for you Solid. this will do Kessler DeGale and then you know being confident of beating both of them and there wasn't really a lot of huge names the huge names were fading out you know like the Abrahams and the Kesslers and the Frotches you know so Ward I think I'm not even sure what Ward was doing at the time he might have been in some legal issues before going up to light heavyweight and fighting Kovalev so I'd like to have beaten Froch had a couple of high profile fights maybe a little fight easy fight <laughs> and then uh, and seen what, what, what was occurring okay lovely thanks for that Luke so this is next one is from Christian JC been in touch on Instagram, Christian on the cutting edge always. How hard did you find it to sleep the night before a fight? When I was really young and really excited and the weight making process wasn't too difficult, it was harder to sleep at night because you was pumped for the next day. Sometimes there might be things knocking about in your brain. You might be like, oh, you were the one who's out selling tickets that, that for that fight. And you'd be like, oh, what about him? He ain't paid me. Or what about him? He didn't come. He, he said he was going to have 10 tickets and he hasn't even asked the coin. And it only occurs on you at like 10 o'clock at night when you get into bed. You don't really want to go a bit too early the night before a fight because you're trying to set your body clock granted when I'm not main event I might fight at 7, 8 o'clock but come main event time sometimes you don't ring walk till like almost 11 so you might be in action in full swing need to be wide awake closing in on midnight if you've been going to bed at half nine, ten o'clock religiously for the whole camp to get in good quality sleep, you know, you need to adjust that. So you didn't mind staying up too late the night before, as long as you could get that sleep in overnight. As I went through my career and I was a bit tighter at the weight and then there was more of an occasion. You had the fight week, you know, circus, press conference, media workout, this, the face off, usually a couple of legal arguments. Uh, a weight cut, a weigh-in, a rehydration. I slept like a baby. You're knackered anyway. <laughs> I slept like a baby Friday nights. Yeah. yeah, they were lovely. And I wasn't too fast if I fell asleep at nine, fell asleep at midnight, whatever it was. As long as as long as I woke up refreshed. Um, sometimes you have a little nap on fight day if you could. I could do that sort of earlier on in my career. I was quite good at napping. Training under Adam Booth used to like a nap. You used to have a good nap. Hey, you used to have a nap. Yeah, I know you're a good sleeper. They were a napper, yeah. Good sleep, so, man. Uh, but then near the end, I just have a lay down. Here's one for you, because I remember this in amateur boxing. There would always be someone who's turned up to box and obviously turned up on the minibus with the rest of the club and they're not boxing for five hours. 
asleep. We someone boxing later who's asleep at all amateur club shows. Were you an amateur sleeper? No, I was. I was up, awake, alert. Uh, you know, shadow boxing. Yeah, and sleep was a problem for me. I struggled. I remember I used to struggle to sleep as an amateur. We used to. We we went to Russia for the Europeans. Uh, I think it was in Saratov. They had a famous bridge. They're really proud of their bridge. And you had to weigh in at seven a.m. Uh, and then didn't matter if you went to bed on weight the night before. The England coach used to like to get you all up, check where you at like six half six because they didn't trust everyone to go to bed and not attack the, you know, the, the Coke and the, the Haribos or whatever. So, but that was me. I was up wired now. At 6am. Um, 6am, up wired. You weighed in first and then pretty much every time you box in. So, you know, and you might only be there a week and fight four times. And then you couldn't really rest in the day. Sometimes you would be, you wouldn't know if you had a morning slot or an afternoon slot and there was hundreds of fights, you know, there'd be hundreds and hundreds of fights. So you'd be just be lingering there all day and then you'd box and it's only three rounds four no four four rounds four two minute rounds so it's not like a 12 rounder where you've depleted the tank so you're still pretty alert you might have to do a little bit of training to get the weight back under control and i struggle to go to bed at night like so i'll just be awake luke campbell came to the europeans and luke campbell brought his uh like portable cd player and he had a it was tracy chapman album <laughs> so i borrowed that and he's tracy chapman album so i thought that helped me send me asleep and i was sharing a room no offense with uh cole kirkham who i actually ended up going on to box in the aba final, in the ABA final. but at the time he was a he was a, a a lightweight the biggest lightweight you'd ever meet really nice sweet sort of soft soft guy soft kid probably d didn't like me i was probably a bit too obnoxious for him and then obviously too polite to say turn that crap <laughs> off mate so he'd just fall asleep like relax into tracy chapman and i'll be up wired listening to tracy chapman <laughs> Perfect. Lovely. Cheers, Christian. Instagram again from Aaron Givens with a double S. So like Aaron Givens. How does purse bidding work? Who is eligible to bid and where does the money go? Frank Smith tried to cover this in a, yeah. in a pod. We, I want to do a specific, we'll do a I reckon it could pod. be a real fun one. But as far as my understanding of a purse bid is, and it might change a little bit, sealed bid. You write that you have to be licensed in some way, like maybe a promoter. You have to be able to make a bid. Sometimes people would bid on behalf of promoters. They whack their figure in an envelope, and then someone at the board opens them all up. Probably pre pre technology, pre Skype, and all this sort of stuff. You had to, in I think, person. you had to go do it in person. Yeah, so it'd be in Cardiff at a British Boxing World Control, and then yeah, they just whop, 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 open them up because you don't trust no one. You wouldn't just you know take someone's word for it. Mm. Oh, you got beaten by a pound. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're on Zoom, aren't they, guys? Frank and if yeah, Aaron, go and listen to the Frank Smith because there's a bit good bit on purse bids in that. Your James the Girl fight that went to purse bid, didn't it, with the board? So for the British title, yeah. So Dave Colwell was working for um, Haymaker Boxing, but he's also a licensed promoter. So I think they put in two bids for the James the Girl fight because they were worried that we weren't going to. They wanted control of the fight. I think Dave Colwell put in a massive bid that couldn't be beat. So that was a safety net. Adam or Haymaker put in what they hoped they could nick it for but just in case Warren slightly beat them they had uh, they had Dave Cole was as a safety net so but back then you could just go no thanks like as soon yeah. as it came out I was like and and Cobble's bid <laughs> six million <It's> like, <laughs> no thanks <laughs> it wasn't that much and you didn't have to stump up the sort of the 10% 
I don't know, loyal fee. What, what did what Frank call it? It's like ten percent guarantee. It's guarantee. You have to, and he did. Aaron did say that. Where does the money go? You have to, you have to pay something, and it go. It will go in escrow, I guess. So now, yeah, if it's say if it's with the British Boxing Board of Control for the British title, they probably have to go to them. Or if it's for the WBC or the IBF, one of the governing bodies, it'll go to them. Or in escrow, where it's not to them, it's not to anyone, but it's safe in the lawyer's hands. I reckon we got a purse bidep in us at some point as well. Uh, staying on Instagram, Stephen Dot Ranking One. Are you just as frustrated with the first Frotch fight now, or has it eased with what you've achieved since? He's convinced that that Instagram slice that Sky was put out, yeah. where he sort of he comes in, he nudges me, he swings and misses, he catches one, I punch back. You know, to me that clip, I'm like. I shouldn't be stopped there anyway mm. but also I'm like that is the worst bit of justice to me because you haven't seen the earlier part of that round where I'm botting it yeah. like that's it anyway Paddy Fitzpatrick made a great point of that in the press comments after that fight he said if it was the other way around there's no way that Frotch gets stopped off the back of that exchange I mean he was in much worse trouble than I was yeah. at that point and it splits the crowd sometimes like usually we all say who thinks the fight will stop prematurely everyone's hand shoots up and then depending on who's told a better story me or Frotch who thinks Frotch would have gone on to stop him and don't forget Frotch's story starts back in 2003 you know when he's boxing uh, such and such journeyman from you know down the road and goes all the way through championship fighter come from behind knocked out um, Jermaine Taylor in the 12th mm. round he's quite he's quite a great story yeah yeah but for me yeah it's, it's frustrating it's, just, mm. it's, it's like it's sickening still frustrating um, you know? yeah 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 it, it was my first loss and there was a lot that went that went into that you know there's a lot that went I had to contend and deal with a lot so um, yeah still burns thanks for that Stephen now it, on Instagram, Perry underscore Nagpal, he sent a flurry or she has sent a flurry of questions. Five, I'm, I'm actually going to do them all. First one, easy one. Who wins, Eubank Jr. or Conor Ben? I assume this came in probably before, but let's say hypothetical. It's the bigger one, Eubank. Big, the one I box. Yeah, Eubank. Uh, Eubank, yeah. Eubank's just way too big for him. Okay, here's another one from Perry, and this came up a few times. Would you fight James the Girl again in an exhibition fight? It depends on what we mean by exhibition. Do you know what I mean? If we're just going to, I don't know, aren't we don't, I don't really have any um, relationship with DeGale, so it would be weird to set up sort of a little touch and knock around and mess about. Not going to happen, is it? Neither of us would probably be up for We probably might be up for a fight. Apparently, he's in the gym and he definitely um, he's kept the weight off. He's, you know, on, he's, he's, on he's, not, he's not chunky. He's not, they're not living by his name. But we did bump into each other in a, in a restaurant come nightclub in, in Chelsea a few years ago now. And, um, um, yeah, he, he was very clear in that he has no desire to box again. And I was like, yeah, I'm not calling you out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just going to say hello. But if, if there was a reason for a, for an exhibition, he'd be high up there on the list for me. When you saw him, or say if you saw him now, quite cordial, I guess the, the whole the beef is sort of over. There's no heat there anymore, is there? Yeah, no, there, no, there isn't. You never know because you always think like there yeah. could be anything that could spark it. I mean, I'm sitting next to Carl every week and there's no desire but then I do wonder like, say that one more time, mate. <laughs> I'll choke you out. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. But um, yeah, we would dig out like, it'd be like, nothing, man. If I saw him, I'd sort of shake his hand. Mm. Say, well done, mate. Are you okay? Yeah. You all right? Hope you're well. Hope you're happy. And it's weird. We don't bump into each other but we don't live a million miles away. So he sort of hangs out where I'm from really but I don't hang out where I'm from mm. now 
you know so yeah nothing's wrong with i've got no problems with james we've got to get him on the pod get him on he's yeah. my uh, yeah he's, he's the dream guest the numbers would be ridiculous nice one perry i think james comes up in another question but let's move to the next one do you think you could have beaten andre ward in your prime yeah of course yeah i mean every fighter believes they you know they can and should and would he was a, uh, an astute brilliant fighter technically sound great ring craft did everything really well no real glaring weaknesses but i would have found a way i would have found a way i would have sat down studied him i blow my own jab trumpet right and i put a lot of emphasis on learning the craft of the jab and what what it's all about and the various elements involved in it and most people think that a jab is just there's only one jab that is the jab he's got a good jab or he doesn't it's not that at all you know so being so astute and good with a jab which if you've got a good jab means you've got good hand-eye coordination good timing that is all part and parcel of having the jab there's a reason why i can throw my jab like a right hand and land it and hurt people with it and come out on scave all the time because i'm aware of all these other elements that go with a great jab and then off the back of that then you have to develop what comes off the jab ward would have had a tough time like every fighter i think would have a tough time reading the jab understanding the jab and being able to counter and punch off of their jab so he'd have to take the jab away from me that would have been his first obstacle uh, i don't have to go back and obviously study him to figure out what his was but i back myself to beat everyone to figure figure everyone out you know you can't back yourself to be able to take everyone's power if you're letting them have free shots or beat people to the punch if they've got lightning fast hands like i've sparred andre Durrell, like rapid hand speed so i can't say no i've got faster hands than, than Durrell. It's, that's not what it is mm. you know it's like oh no i need to find something else that negates his hand speed and then there could be someone else someone else someone else you know all these different elements that fighters have you just have to go and work it out you mentioned there about what fights might have been had you beaten fights if you beaten him in the first one certainly if you beaten him in the second one that ward fight really would have been on the table wouldn't it at that point obviously then they talked about the frotch rematch with him um and he was very interested in wembley as you might imagine i reckon oh well, i know the answer to this but who's your best trainer at the end, the most of the guy who got me over the line was Shane McGuigan. You know, um, I still think he's probably a better trainer now than when he's with me because he's worked with that many more fighters. And I'm not working with him on a day to day, but I still believe he's that person by nature who carries himself with the appropriate amount of confidence that you need to survive in boxing to command the attention of, you know, elite level fighters, but also humble enough and leaves his ego at the side enough to know that he will he can improve and learn we had him on the on the pod didn't we won the first out the door and i asked him is there any trainers that you want to work with and he sort of answered the same way he's like well i'm, I'm at a stage now where i don't need to go and learn from someone but I'm, i open up that i can see some stuff and and uh, now i can improve and for me at that stage when i got with him he was perfect for me because i'd worked with a vast array of fighters and trainers all over the world amateur and pro and i definitely didn't need someone to come in and dictate to me and sort of tell me that this is right and this is wrong just someone to, to go with me which he did and I learned a lot with him and we sort of I felt like we figured a lot out together through you know sparring pad work watching fights together just chewing the breeze chewing the fat Adam Booth is a very good coach his fighters generally tend to fight a particular way Adam I don't know if he still does but he used to do a lot of um, punch specific work so you'd you'd work on a single shot and almost try and perfect it and then there might be another shot after it or a defensive movement out of it and you could drill that over and over again I feel like that would perfect time for me would have been at the start of my pro career which I did with him so I made huge adjustments to my pro style and there was a big influence from Adam in that regard. 
but we've seen it a couple of times with, with other fighters. You know, there was the fight I had with Kenny Anderson where I unraveled a bit because I couldn't get rid of the guy to start with. He sort of, he walked through that. And then you're just like, oh shit. Yeah. Mm. You know, Paddy Fitzpatrick, who I worked with, we worked with um, sitting in the pocket a lot more, James Tony's type stuff, finding your balance, finding your feet, knowing where your, your weight distribution needs to be. A lot more bent arm shots, cut inside, be strong in my legs punching a little bit more volume ultimately i feel like there it ended up being at the expense of my explosive stuff so and that would have been a combination of a lot we did we doing a lot of endurance training like lots and lots of punching lots and long sessions lots of long runs i was a bit fatigued at the end of my sort of spell with paddy but a very very good coach as well i had three really good coaches and my i have to shout out to my amateur coach mick delaney we'll get him on he's a brilliant yeah. guest one day yeah. who produces champion off champion still there at 70 odd years of age down in the dell youth abc so yeah no unfortunately i had lots of good trainers last one from perry who's the best win or what was the best win of your career tuning off was the best win as in the most joyful win a satisfying win was beating DeGale. I liked the Francisco Sierra win. Mm. I think it was a good knockout and he was a big dude. He came in, he looked like Frankenstein, <laughs> like the Mexican Frankenstein. Was that on Golden Boy Show, that one? Golden Boy Show. Yeah. So we went out and always tried to keep a really good relationship with Robert Diaz. And then... Got to get him on as well. Robert Diaz, great. Yeah. Robert Diaz. You know, he was working with David Hay and I think their ambition was to bring David Hay to the States and promote him as you know an adopted American but Hay was just having it off here in the UK with the pay-per-views you know the UK pay-per-view was taking off there's no need for him to leave and go to the States but we kept great relationship with, with Robert Diaz even once I left Adam Booth Robert Diaz was always take care of me send, send me over sparring partners and even though I never boxed on another one of his shows, um, you know, Golden Boy was always really good to me. So that was out on a Golden Boy show in San Jose. I remember they sent through three or four opponents. I think one of them might even have been Badu Jack. That's how they work in America. Like these guys, they're not bums. Like no. they're, they're club fighters. And sometimes they- There's not many losing records on any of those shows. No, they might be prospects, but if they got no backing, then they get thrown in. Mm. Like they get thrown in sink, sink or swim. I've had Anthony Sims over as a sparring partner. He's one of the best talent I've ever seen I think when he came over he was only 21 um, he'd already sparred Golovkin me and Bivol and all the other big guys another sparring partner was um, Demetrius Ballard and I sparred him for Badu Jack and uh, didn't say much real quiet kept himself to himself gave me hell out there <laughs> then to end they had to box each other yeah. so oh my god this would be like Easily a European title fight yeah. over here. Now they're just a keep busy fight, I think, for them. And it's like two prospects. You've had you've had enough time now. We'll see who's going to sink or swim. Yeah, it's tough out there in mm. the states. So Sierra, that's on YouTube, isn't it? Going Sierra, Sierra was a good, a good knockdown. Noé Gonzalez was a good droppage, like drop, dropped him quite heavy. That was on the Frochkes the undercard. Paul Samuels dropped him quite yeah. heavy. And that Dennis was a, Duglin. Stop Duglin, Dennis stop Dennis Duglin. Yeah, it was a bit of a stinker that one. For me. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that that show in a bit. Cheers for them, Perry. This one from one Stevie Des. There's only one Stevie Des. I've always said it. How come you never box at the bridge? Stevie Des, that's Stevie from the day. Is it? it? That's one Stevie Des, yes. Here he is, yeah. At the bridge. Now, we tried it once. Chelsea, a prestigious club with immaculate pitches, and they don't need the money. No. But no, Chelsea, it was not worth their ag to yeah. uh, fix the pitch. So It's an old stadium as well. I mean, I say old. It's not It's not. It's brand not, it's not new. So it's, it's not built for yeah. multi-purpose events. It's built just for football. Yeah. It would have been nice. It would have been, uh, been cool. But uh, no, I didn't quite get there. Okay, this one from... 
Scott Sturdy MC, maybe he's an MC. I don't know whether he's like a garage MC or like a announcer like like Michael Buffer. Anyway, Scott Sturdy MC. Who was the best promoter that you ever worked with? I worked with all of them. You did? Eddie Hearn done a fantastic job of promoting Wembley. Golden Boy are probably the best at picking talent and taking them through. The McGuigans used to do exactly the same. So it's like on a smaller scale because they only have the Channel 5 budget, but they would source fighters, develop them. Did it with Frampton and, and Taylor. Frampton, Taylor. I look at them now, Azeem's, yeah. both of them. Azeem's are doing great. Caroline I mean, Dubois. Chantel Cameron, I think yeah. they got to a world title CBS. stage. Yeah, it's true. Chris come through, Chris now European champion. So they're really good promoters. The, the Salem brothers were great for me. The intricate work that goes in that we don't see, that we don't know about, the, you know, just the art of boxing, you know. Salem brothers would take me to, it's like, right, come, we're going to Vegas for the WBC convention. Is that okay? You get there, we'll have a, a meeting with Maurizio Solomon and a couple of others and then um, sit down table. Hi, here's George, yeah, boxer Wembley. I know George, yeah, great. Wants to fight for WBC. We want him to fight for WBC. You know, and that was all it was, yeah. like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, great, okay. So next fight, this one, mandatory, and then you'll fight such and such. Okay, great. I don't know if then Kala had to like, uh, you know, pay, they said that to pay, 30 pay for lunch. Yeah. We, you know, <laughs> who's going who's, who's gonna to take him take and have a lunch next? But that's the the real promoting world that mm. goes on. Nice. Okay. Instagram, a, a little treble here from Envision Properties. First one, first question. Dream fight, if you, this is a good one. If you could only come back for one fight in your prime physique, who would it be? So you take peak physical, mental George Groves. I would like to have had a run out against Andre Ward really then mm. I suppose because um, for my era he was the best fighter of my era at my weight and it's it's mad isn't it like you know I lost I beat the gal lost the frotch got beat by Jack beat Eubank you know like say I had a win against Ward then all of a sudden you know I'll, I'll probably be talk, spoken about at like Calzaghe level yeah, you know yeah. so not that that's the real reason you fight in boxing is to get that sort of status but Ward would have been a great fight if this person had come back now prime physique who would you want to fight pick any Alvarez yeah I thought you might say that okay next one good one big one here as well actually any career regrets uh, I try not to regret as such you know because you never know what your life would be the last fight with Callum Smith so to finish on a loss is that a regret I don't know is it was that a clean break for me you know was the reason that I'm content not not itching to get back in the ring because the last camp was horrific and the last fight was terrible mm -hmm. you know um, I haven't watched it back for a long time but when I watched it back it wasn't that bad of a performance but it's it's a real shame that it just I felt like it wasn't quite me and I feel like Callum Smith deserved you know a better version of me but that that's boxing there was a lot of money on the table and there was a lot of reward if I'd won and I'd had it off you know and I could have walked off into the sunset as the champion and then yeah, maybe in a different place I'm at now, but where I am there, I'm in the studio talking to you. Exactly. With a podcast, so I wouldn't trade in for anything. <laughs> okay, last one, which leads us very nicely onto the last one from InVision Properties, and thanks for these questions, was prior to Callum Smith, with the shoulder already gone, what was the strategy? There wasn't a, a huge game plan as such. Cautious of his check left hook, which is what he actually yeah. sort of sets up to finishes me off with. But other than that, it was just go out and box and just and just box as you boxing. Like now, I'm giving away a lot of height, and I've got to try and get my jab up to like his six foot four frame. And my shoulder wasn't conditioned like to do that. Really, it was a weird one. It was like I didn't back my fitness. 
And I remember after a few rounds, getting a few rounds into it, being like, this is okay. And I think he's being a bit cautious here because it's a big, it's like, this is his big time. He's been waiting for this for years. This is now his world title fight. There's a lot on the line. There was even like win bonuses on the line. So I felt like he was being a bit cautious. I got to be cautious because he's got kind of equalizer power and I'm tight at the weight. So my condition is not going to be great. And so my punch resistance, sorry, is not going to be great. So I don't give away no free shots. I think I landed a right hand that sort of, I don't think it hurt him, but it sort of was like a wry smile, like a little nod as if to say, I found the range now. And then I remember before the, like, it might've been the same round or maybe the round before thinking, Ah, just go for it, man. Mm. Just go for it. Don't back yourself over 12 rounds here. You could try and nick the fight as such, you know, like try and build up a few rounds and then see it out. But really just, nah, go, on, go for it a bit here. And then I think I, I open up a bit more and then right hand comes in. It must be too slow. We catch, check hooks it. Mm. Yeah, go down. Just not, not in a good place. And you're in a different frame of mind, deck. Like, this is your last fight. So it's much easier to not rush to your feet. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Next one we've got is Chrissy three. Chrissy underscore three. That's a good one. What temptations were hardest to stay away from during the training camp? Uh, sugar, really. Sugar. sugar. All uh, forms. You try and cut a lot of sugar, definitely processed sugar, out of your diet. Fructose was not so bad. Was there anything like once you, the fight was done, the week after you were straight into? Yeah, no, nothing really. I mean, I wasn't like an alcoholic, so it wasn't like I needed to get an, a particular form of alcohol straight in your system and that. It was just um, a general relaxing. You know, you'd go to families and, you know, you go around my wife's auntie's house and she would have like something amazing cooked mm. and you could just... You could just eat. Yeah, and like her place is just amazing for food because you go there and there's already like nuts and everything out. Like she's the 
hostess for the most s you know and then it was like a, a saturday lunch but it was like four or five courses you know what I mean? like you go you're like oh this is this is amazing did you stay away from that when you were in camp can't be around that sort of food and temptation and there's only so many times you can say no and it's only and they feel obliged <laughs> to offer because they feel it's rude and then sometimes i swear it's paranoia but i'll be like i'll just be around the food and i'll come back heavier the next day <laughs> i was like is that stress Smelling is that me it. stressing out about not eating it that i've actually could be um converted some muscle to fat ask ruben <laughs> yeah ruben <laughs> okay sugar ben otley on instagram has said do you think boxing needs live scorecards for fighters to know their situation in the fight now wbc did this for a while remember they did their open scoring or trialed it obviously hasn't taken off and we don't do that anymore but what do you feel about live scorecards i'm not a fan don't get me wrong when the fight when a fight finishes and it's read out and then people are very frustrated about the decision it would change the course of a fight if you knew what the judges were doing after four rounds because it could be four pick and rounds but if they've just given it to the home corner four nil you're like well straight away that, that away fighter has to now do something very different and it could change the course of the fight they could go and make a mistake you know what I mean and then if he's rushing walks onto a shot gets stopped then it's like oh well you wasn't going to win anyway because of the scorecards yeah so it, I don't really think about it. we get influenced all the time obviously because we're watching it on telly and the commentators will tell us what their scorecards are we know that certain commentators and Mike Costello has been on he says he, he and I believe him that he stays true to his own scorecards yeah. but it's very difficult when the general consensus of online feeling could be like via Twitter or whatever um, is telling you a fight's going a particular way and you might see it a different way you're double checking yourself it's much more fun to just keep your own scores at home if, if, if even if that is what you want to do some people don't well vast probably don't keep scores and then they just consider mm, well well, that was tighter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Because you ain't scored the rounds. Go and watch a fight. Stick, Turn the sound off, even an old one, and watch it and score it. Especially go and watch an amateur bout between like Cuba and USA or something. And literally turn the sound off. It's a three-minute round that goes like in the blink of an eye. And then try and sit there and try and subjectively score it. It's a very hard thing to do. Anyway, Coop underscore dog one. What happened with the backstage trouble at the weigh-in for the Groves to Gale fight? Now, it wasn't actually the Groves to Gale fight I think Coop Dog is talking about. I believe this happened in Liverpool on the undercard of Bellew Cleverly rematch when you boxed Ennis Duglin, James boxed Mark Antonio Paraban, and there was some sort of altercation backstage. Can you tell us about it? I remember writing about it on the, at the time based on absolutely nothing, <laughs> apart from what Eddie Herner told us. Can you give us any insight into what happened there? Yeah, so it was either just before or just after the press conference. It was, it was a weigh-in. It was, it was a weigh-in day because yeah. we had to go for our medicals, right? So I think we had both weighed in. He was in Liverpool. I think they did the weigh-in. Was in like a town George's hall? hall. St. George's yeah. Hall. It's not a big place. There's they had little rooms off the off the back and there wasn't a lot of room. So I knew James DeGale was going to be up there and anticipating a bit of trouble. So I'd brought a couple of security with me and my team. But I also had like a couple of family members and James likewise. I don't know if he had any security. I doubt it. But he had Ambrose Mendy. <laughs> Who, if you know him, he's a an agent of such. Now, I think he was um, Degal's agent. You know, I'm not sure exactly what he did for him. He was there. Uh, some of Degal's family members were there, and majority of his team. So we got across paths on the corridor, and there's already like not me and James, but the rest of the team sort of giving each other daggers. You know, and there were a couple of females on you both, two are both sides. Fucking starving as well. At this point. Yeah. <laughs> so I've ended up in one room. They've gone. I think this is to do my medical, but then I want to get back across the corridor 
to um, get to the other side. He's there, I'm there, and I thought, he's going to try and stare me out. So if he stares me out, I'm just going to walk calmly towards him. Then as I turn, like, as I get really close to him, I'm going to turn to him quick and say, what? Uh, but then carry on walking, like really cool. Whatever I said, that was how it went, and I nailed it, deck. It was amazing, right? So this is walking, 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 he's staring, staring, so I just turn to him and go, what? Or like, what's your problem? Like, and then he's sort of, in my mind, I don't know if he did, in my mind, he flinches back, right? And then I just turn, like, keep on walking and, like, fucking nailed it, right? And I just turned left to go into the changing room. He bottled it. Can't wait to share it with the rest of the team. As I turn around, there's just chaos. <laughs> it's like arms and legs flying in. It, it was uh, it was mayhem. So I'm like, oh, I fucking blown it. Like, I can't trust no one. I just needed to do that clean exit. And then uh, I could be telling everyone, tell Kugan Cassius on the iFilm in 20 minutes. So then I'm marching back like, oh, come on, can we please get out of here? At this point, like, I've got my security guard, Thomas, who's like six foot five and strongest man you'll ever meet. He's separating pretty much the whole shebang with one arm. Ambrose Mendy's hanging off his other arm. Looks like he's trying to do chins whilst trying to kick Dean Baker, who's my <laughs> commercial agent. These two are like doing deals like the week before and now Ambrose is trying to boot him. Ambrose would probably testify otherwise. There's girls on either side getting very animated. Duncan, who takes care of like a lot of my media stuff and would, like shout out Duncan Ross Duncan Ross we're getting him on soon because mm. he's got a lot of funny stories he's at the back he's been departed like he's got cut off from you know you know, like, you know like, it was like you know when the wildebeest have to cross the <laughs> cross the canyon but someone's left one of the little pups behind right <laughs> that was Duncan so it's he's like King again. Oh, yeah. and he, he looks like a smaller version of me back then because yeah. we both got like shaved heads and he's got his little George Groves tracksuit on there was no punches thrown or anything but it was like a lot of fingers, finger wagging and shouting and arguing people in each other's faces. It was weighing day, so I wasn't prepared to do anything really. Eddie Hearn was probably rubbing his hands out. Like, oh, yeah, it was. Paper, it was a pay per view show. Nothing more than just a little uh, calamity. I'm not sure I've told him on the full story yet, like like, or if there's any more to it. But get Duncan and Duncan will know. Duncan yeah. will know a bit more. So this is the end of part one deck for the Q&A episode. Yeah, our first ever Q&A episode, part one of it is done and dusted. But do you know what, George? I still want more questions, don't mm. you? Yes, we need more so questions. So if you have any more questions, anything at all, weird and wonderful, GG Boxing Club on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. And if you want to email us, ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk. But that's part one done and dusted. When's part two coming out, George? Yes, Deck, part two is coming out next week. So if you've got a burning question you want to get in, get it in now and we can read it out next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.